need to sequence at least more patients. Because the point that Jerry made and that we made again and again and again is that, of course, if you're looking for rare variants that cause Alzheimer's disease, the answer will be in the patients with Alzheimer's disease and not so much in sequencing population-based studies. Welcome to the Illumina Genomics Podcast, where leading scientists discuss their genomics research and how genomics is shaping our understanding of science and nature. Here's your host, Paul Broman. Well, hello, and thanks for joining me for episode 25 in our series. If this is your first time joining us, welcome. Today's show explores the links between genes and neurodegenerative diseases like Alzheimer's or Parkinson's. These diseases are characterized by the gradual degeneration or death of brain tissues. Scientists don't really understand the causes of neurodegeneration, and there are no effective treatments to stop the degeneration of brain tissue. Over time, this neurodegeneration can lead to dementia, a decline in mental ability that's so severe it can interfere with daily life. I'll spare you a list of sobering statistics, but suffice it to say that dementia is a massive medical and economic challenge for our society. Recently, the UK Dementia Research Institute and Illumina co-hosted an international expert summit on dementia research held in London. At the summit, distinguished scientists in dementia research discussed current trends and developed recommendations for better integrating genomics in dementia research and diagnostics. In today's show, I'm going to share with you some of the highlights from a summit expert panel discussion titled Affordability and Feasibility of Large-Scale Genetic Risk Profiling in Dementia. The panel discussed the current state of dementia with respect to genetic risk profiling. Where are we now and where do we need to go? Broadly speaking, there are two types of genomic technologies for genetic risk profiling, whole genome sequencing and genome-wide association studies, or GWAS. GWAS is a technique for finding associations between common DNA variants and human traits or diseases. GWAS uses relatively low-cost genotyping arrays, and it's particularly well-suited to analyze common genetic variants in large numbers of samples. But genotyping arrays only allow you to study common variants that we already know. Whole genome sequencing allows you to find rarer and unknown variants, as well as structural variants, all of which can play a role in genetic risk of dementia. So let's introduce our expert panelists. Cornelia Van Doyne is Professor of Genetic Epidemiology in the Department of Epidemiology at the Erasmus University Medical Center in Rotterdam, Netherlands. Cornelia's work focuses on omics research in neurodegenerative disorders. Predicting uh, the end of GWAS is like predicting the end of the world. We all know it will happen once, but it's definitely very difficult to predict when the world is going to end. Gerard Schellenberg is Professor of Pathology and Laboratory Medicine and Director of the Penn Neurodegeneration Genomics Center at the University of Pennsylvania. Jerry has extensive experience in human molecular genetic studies that include linkage analysis, GWAS, and mutation and variant detection with DNA sequencing methods. So I think, you know, risk profiling is important, but it has little meaning if you don't have a therapy to act on. 
no, I don't want to know my risk profile for developing Alzheimer's. I'd rather live in ignorance until there's something I can do about it. Jose Bras is principal investigator and program leader at the UK Dementia Research Institute at University College London. Jose's research interests are primarily directed at how genetic variability acts on neurodegenerative diseases. I mean, we've focused on the Caucasian population, and this is a, you know, it's only a subset. There's so much that we can learn by doing other populations. I think this should be a focus. The first question to the panel was, should we continue to do ever-larger genome-wide association studies, or have we reached a point of diminishing returns from the analysis of common variants? First, Cornelia. In our time, we haven't done a GWAS without finding new genes, and that's a fact. So we're finding new genes. The point is, if you look at it from a biological perspective, uh, you can't help noticing that we're getting back and over and over again to the same pathways. So we're not finding a lot of new pathways. And that's an um, effect, I think, that we have to start working with now, not only from the point of biology, but also towards translation. So there is still an incentive to do larger GBOS, I think, because the question that we have to start answering is how do the different genes and the pathways uh, relate to the clinical spectrum, for instance? We're starting only to do that now, linking gene families and pathways to certain phenotypes that are very prominent in the disease. I think there is an incentive to do more work, both towards understanding the clinical heterogeneity of the, of the patient, uh, understanding the gene environmental interactions, which are bound to be happening not on a gene basis, but on a pathway basis. And if we want to do pathway interactions on a genetic level, we probably will have to know the genes that are the key players and then build a kind of risk score based on that and look at interaction on that level. So uh, I'm afraid that um, more data are needed. Uh, it would be wonderful to have more data and uh, understand the disease better. But then not so much with the view for biology, but just translation. Let's go there. Jerry and Jose agreed about the need for more GWAS in dementia research and they highlighted a real need to understand genetic variation in diverse populations. There was also broad agreement on the need for a technology to characterize structural variation, since a lot of genetic variability comes from these types of DNA variants. First Jerry, and then Jose. Uh, I would agree with Cornelia. Um, I never disagree with Cornelia. It's just no, <laughs> no, no percentage in that. Um, but I do think we need larger GWAS studies. As um, you know, I always look at cardiovascular disease genetics as a model, and we're, we're nowhere close to the hundreds of thousands of cases that they have used in their studies. And those studies have revealed very interesting genes, including some which are therapeutic targets in terms of you know, we, we have very large Caucasian GWAS uh, populations. We don't have large for U.S. African-American or Hispanic populations or Caribbean Hispanic or Asian populations. And what we're able to do is we're able to look in those populations at the known genes. And when we do that, we see very different allele frequencies in different populations. So different genes have much greater or much less influence on a particular population. So, you know, our, our rationale is there's more, if we're looking at different ethnicities, there's more to be discovered, in, and there will be 
genes that have a larger effect size in a particular ethnicity that are not that we will miss in Caucasians if we don't go into that other ethnicity, even though it may not be, they, they may be actually active in both populations. So we need to do that. And of course, we need to be able to treat African-Americans in the U.S. along with Caucasians. And that treatment may be different in terms of their, their most prominent genetic features. So I think increasing the Caucasian data set is important. And I think just for the common variants, which I think this question addresses, uh, that's true, but also expanding our sample size is going to greatly help with rare variants. And then one of my constant themes is um, structural variation, which is accounts for half of the genetic variation in the genome compared to single nucleotide variants. And we don't, that's the, the dark matter of the genome. We do not have a good technology for measuring structural variants. And when we do, some of those will be rare and we will need large populations that we can tap into and some point we'll be able to impute structural variants, but we can't right now. So uh, that's another reason for not only doing a bigger GWAS, the GWAS is the start, the starting data, but uh, just having that bigger population for all these other studies. I think I agree with, with everything that, that was said. I'll say, however, that I'm, I'm always a bit concerned, and this comes back to what Cornelia said, I'm always a bit concerned because there's a chance that we won't find anything else that's relevant in the next GWASs that we do in, in, in these diseases. It's what Cornelia said, we found all of these genes, we're still finding genes, they lead to the same pathways. And so, I agree, we need more samples, this will give us more hits. These hits will likely be in the same pathways, different players in these pathways, but maybe there won't be any new pathways to find, and if there are, maybe their effects are going to be so small that is there really a point in having them when we think of translational science? I'm all for doing more genetics, of course. What Jerry said, you know, it's obvious we need to do much more in different populations. I mean, we've focused on the Caucasian population and this is a, you know, it's only a subset. There's so much that we can learn by doing other populations. I think this should be a focus. I think people in the U.S. really are um, um, driving this. But I'm always worried that we're doing all of this and we'll find new genes and they'll just be on the same pathways and they won't be informative. Data replication challenges of GWAS become more acute when studying rare variants. And an audience member suggested that rare variant work in dementia has not been very successful. Whole genome sequencing is much more effective at characterizing rare variants. But the question is, should we do large-scale population sequencing studies for finding rare variants in dementia? Or should we be investing more effort in family-based sequencing studies? Family-based studies, I don't think we should stop doing them. This is perhaps the most informative approach we have when we have um, informative families. Large-scale sequencing is something that I'm, you know, I'm not sure we're at the point where we should be doing right now. Um, I don't think we've exploited the imputation data sets that we have available uh, as much as we can. And so going after large data sets by whole genome sequencing, I don't think is cost efficient at the moment. That's not to say that I don't think we should do it eventually. I certainly think we should whole genome sequence everyone. Jerry explained that previous studies to detect rare variants in Alzheimer's have been underpowered which means that there haven't been enough samples to link rare variants with the disease. On the other side of the spectrum, 
The E4 variant of the ApoE gene is the most common known genetic risk factor for late-onset Alzheimer's disease. Jerry argued that family studies were important for understanding the biology of Alzheimer's disease, even though discovering more large genetic risk factors is unlikely. Cornelia underscored that sequencing of Alzheimer's patients is more likely than GWAS to find rare genetic risk variants. I wouldn't say rare variant studies have been unsuccessful. They just, they've just been underpowered. In our paper that used really exome chip, de novo sequencing, and then imputed data, we had 70,000 people and 30,000 cases, 40,000 controls, and we were able to get significant data on uh, genes that had an odd ratio of 1.5 to 2, but with a low allele frequency of 0.5 to 1% MAF. Not incredibly rare, but that we were at the limits of our sample size of what we were able to detect. So when we say we can't, we're having trouble detecting rare variants, I think we've got to increase our sample size. And I agree with Jose about the family studies. We, sh we shouldn't stop them, uh, or else Cornelia <laughs> would kill me. But we're not going to find another APOE. We're not going to find a, a large effect locus. We would have found that by now. Uh, we're going to find some interesting biology. And I think all of this... Um, you know, why should we do a larger GWAS study? Will it, will it help us predict Alzheimer's? Probably, as the odds ratios get lower, probably that contribution will be lower. But on the other hand, the effect size doesn't uh, tell you anything about biological significance. So in the cardiovascular world, there was a GWAS of 100,000 people, and four of those signals are gene targets in cardiovascular disease. We're not anywhere close to that level of sample size and also... Just because it has a small effect size doesn't mean that it's not going to be important in terms of our understanding of the pathogenesis. I think it's in a, a no-brainer that we need to sequence at least more patients. Because the point that Jerry made and that we made again and again and again is that, of course, if you're looking for rare variants that cause Alzheimer's disease, the answer will be in the patients with Alzheimer's disease and not so much in sequencing population-based studies. So uh, that is what our money should go, and that is also very disease-specific, I think. So it means that we need to target our diseases and start sequencing a large series of patients for that. I think it's interesting in Alzheimer now is that both the rare variants and the common variants go to the same mechanisms, and that is going to be, again, an interesting phenomenon, and that makes it also interesting to start looking at the pathways more in detail in that sense. And what we should, in the end of the day, try to do, if you think about how they found a cure for this lipidemia, looking at finding statins, is to get this pathway in hands and look at the key regulator for that pathway. For coenzyme A, it was only really one target they had to do to block that whole pathway. And that will be the maybe $100 billion question or pound question, how on earth are we going to find that key regulator? And I think sequencing has a better opportunity to find that than GWAS. The panel discussed large-scale genetic risk profiling and genetic discovery to enable risk profiling in the population. But the panel also explained how performing GWAS, or rare variant studies, could also help us to understand biology as a path towards dementia intervention and therapeutics. Personally, your rare variant may be a driver, but if you want to know, want to find a high-risk group or low-risk group for any reason, a low-risk group to understand what protects you from Alzheimer, 
we probably have that pretty good in our hands. We know that there are people who, by 800, have only a 10% risk of developing Alzheimer's disease, while others, 80% is dead by 80 years old or has the disease. So we have that information at hand, and we, we can get, have a lot of mileage by combining APOE with the common variants there. And having this information in hand is very important to uh, direct effective and powerful preventive trials. And I think if you think about translation, that is probably the way that most of us in, in also in translational sciences want to go, rather to prevention than to cure of the disease, which is going to be difficult. So I think, you know, risk profiling is important, but it has little meaning if you don't have a therapy to act on. And so chasing after gene targets using genetics, and that's clearly, you know, has a great advantage in terms of success rate in, in a clinical trial is having genetic evidence backing your target. You know, I don't want to know my risk profile for developing Alzheimer's. I'd rather live in ignorance until there's something I can do about it. It may be circular because we never may find an effective drug if we don't know the subgroups. It's a very simple example, but I think I, I always take this myocardial infarction as an example. So in the old days, you know, grandma will say 20 years ago, if, if antihypertensives, it was very difficult to show that they protected against myocardial infarction because they would have very small effects, but they on an individual still, but if you attack both the fact that somebody has hypertension and has diabetes and has this lipidemia, then the treatment became effective. And I, I can't see that Alzheimer's disease is a very much more simple disease, at least in those patients who occur late in life, and that are the most of them. Haplotypes are clusters of single nucleotide polymorphisms, or SNPs, that are inherited from one parent. In GWAS, haplotypes help scientists to identify patterns of genetic variation associated with traits or diseases. Sometimes it's necessary to statistically infer the likely genotype at a given locus, based on reference panels of haplotypes, like the Haplotype Reference Consortium, or HRC. This process is called imputation, and it can be a cost-effective way to leverage available resources and get the most out of rare variant studies. But all the experts agreed that scientists need more reference panels from non-European populations. Well, we're better than what we were a few years ago. HRC is really, as I, I think, almost game-changing, you know, with the amount of haplotypes that we have available for European populations, for Caucasian populations. That's not to say that this is enough. We can get down to frequencies that are very low with HRC, of course, we want to do, we want to see variants that are even rare, and so no one is going to say that this is enough. We still need um, to get better haplotypes, and certainly for other populations where this almost doesn't exist. So I don't think we're, uh, we have reference panels that are adequate for other populations other than Caucasians. If we talk about gene burden analysis, having accurate imputation down to very small allele frequencies is, is will make that possible. Uh, now people cringe at doing that because of, of, of too much inaccurate imputed genotypes. So I think we need bigger Caucasian and the other ethnicities. We don't have the sequence, enough sequence data right now to generate the kind of panel we'd really like to have. In addition to SNP variants, 
structural DNA variants, including DNA insertions and deletions, contribute to the genetic heritability of dementia risk. The panel agreed that it would be ideal to account for the structural variation in GWAS by including more variant types in genotyping arrays and reference panels. Yeah, if, if structural variants could be part of the imputation panels, that would be huge. Uh, just it's, so, it's been so difficult to reliably call structural variants, even surprisingly the small ones, which you would think would be within a sequence read, you think we should be able to do that. And I don't understand why. I mean, it's not a criticism. I just don't understand why we're not, not very good at doing that. But with the sequence data in-house existing as methods, I think we'll get better of not only detecting st structural variants, but then going back and look, where did that structural variant land in the genome? And what does that area of the genome look like? And is it messy? And is it repeated? And how reliable is this? We will get better. It's just it take takes something, something different than we're doing right now. From 2006 to 2010, half a million people from the UK participated in the UK Biobank. As a part of this program, these participants provided biological samples and health information, and they also agreed to have their health monitored over time. The UK Biobank serves as a resource to help scientists discover why some people develop particular diseases and others don't. The experts were asked if the UK Biobank was enough for dementia research or whether a new dementia-focused biobank was needed. I think UK Biobank has been transformative. I think it's, um, it's been a new way of doing things, and I think it's incredibly powerful. We were just saying that it's, we need to have patients when we want these, when you, you know, if you want to understand Alzheimer's disease, we need to have patients in these panels. And so I think it kind of makes sense to have the same type of data set for dementia. But, but at the same time, I think there's a lot we can take out of the UK Biobank before we go into something like this. I think it's definitely interesting for uh, any population to have a uh, larger catchment area for patients and to connect that also with biobanking. I think in the end of the day, most populations will be at least arrayed, almost completely. So it would be then a no-brainer to make these, uh, these connections also to the patients. But it's, it's definitely not an easy task. If I, I look at the dementia platform, it's not so easy to catch the patient. You're probably not going to find the pure Alzheimer's that you find in your clinics. So it's interesting how much, you know, in looking at the UK Biobank using a phenotype of dementia, you know, how much that agreed with what we find in Alzheimer's disease. And it almost makes you wonder, maybe we're, we're shooting ourselves in the foot by insisting on pure Alzheimer's disease. Maybe what we should be studying is dementia. And maybe, maybe that's not the noise. Maybe, we, maybe that's what we should be looking at. So do we need more GWAS in dementia research? Well, newer published Alzheimer's disease GWAS have increased total sample numbers and identified new associated loci. But they haven't identified new genes or pathways. So it might seem that we're done with GWAS and dementia research. But in fact, the experts argued for more GWAS and dementia research, and for a number of reasons. For one, there's a need to identify more risk variants in non-Caucasian and non-European ancestry populations and there's also a need for identifying genes and pathways associated with discrete clinical phenotypes of Alzheimer's and non-Alzheimer's forms of dementia. Finally, 
There's agreement that we need better GWAS tools for studying structural variation in dementia. If you like today's show, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Join me next time when I'll be talking with Dr. Nathan Treff, Chief Science Officer of Genomic Prediction and Adjunct Professor at Rutgers University School of Medicine in New Jersey. We'll be discussing the technologies of pre-implantation genetic screening, or PGS, a tool for increasing in vitro fertilization efficiency in appropriately selected couples, here on the Illumina Genomics Podcast. Podcast.